Today is April the 6th, 2022. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key and my colleague is Joe King. Do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how Facebook, Google, Amazon, and other big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is www.pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network. That's www.prn.live. That's L-I-V-E. Streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. I'm looking forward to returning into the studio for live calls from you, the listening audience. In the meantime, you can leave us a message with your question or your comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Elon Musk has become Twitter's largest shareholder. Musk has become Twitter's largest shareholder after acquiring a 9.2% stake. Elon Musk disclosed a 9.2% stake in Twitter on Monday, sending the company's stock soaring more than 25%. But some analysts don't see the Tesla chief executives stopping there. Elon Musk's Twitter stake does not rule out a full buyout. Though the billionaire stake on the social media company is considered passive, some Wall Street analysts believe Musk has much more planned for Twitter's long-term strategy. While Musk has expressed interest in building a rival to Twitter, a potential all-out buyout of the company could still be on the table. While a passive stake by Musk won't change Twitter's fundamentals, his investment will drive greater interest from consumers. Musk's actual investment is a very small percentage of his wealth, and an all-out buyout should not be ruled out. Musk's latest move follows his recent criticism over the social media platform's approach to free speech. He has also previously been critical of Twitter's CEO, Parag Garavo. The billionaire posted a Twitter poll in March questioning whether the platform allows users to speak freely. He said free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. He asked his followers, do you believe Twitter rigorously adhered to this principle? More than 70% of the respondents said Twitter lacked a commitment to free speech, leading Musk to ask his more than 80 million followers what should be done. Given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. What should be done, Musk wrote in another tweet on March the 26th. Is a new platform needed? Musk's stake will not remain passive for long, noting that it's just the start of broader conversations with the company's board and management. The street is reading this as a first move for Musk in an eventual active role at Twitter. Musk's stake offers the social media platform an opportunity to potentially increase its user base and engagement and attract more advertising dollars. Twitter currently has 217 million daily active users. Musk could influence the openness of Twitter's platform and how it controls content. Musk has already indicated that he did not agree with the appointment of a growl and that he desires some changes. This creates a bit more uncertainty 
about how Agrawal and the firm may respond to the firm's now largest shareholder. Musk could help push the platform to invest more aggressively in its recently launched Twitter Blue subscription service, which offers premium features and app customizations for a small monthly fee. How might Elon Musk impact Twitter? Elon Musk has been known to cause complete mayhem with just his words. There is, however, no denying the intellect and power of someone like Musk. Back on November 29, 2021, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey announced his resignation effective immediately and said that Twitter's chief technology officer, Parag Agrawal, would take his place. Twitter's new CEO is Parag Agrawal, who previously stated that the Twitter platform should focus less on free speech and tweeted in 2010 that there is no difference between white people and racists. His statement sparked outrage on social media platform. In November 2020, Agrawal, then Twitter's CTO, which is a chief technology officer, said in response to a question that Twitter should not be bound by the First Amendment and should focus less on free speech. Elon Musk's comments and questions surrounding Twitter and free speech have resurfaced after the billionaire became the social media's platform's biggest shareholder. Just a few weeks ago, on March 25th, Musk held a Twitter poll and shared it with his 80.2 million followers. Free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adhered to this principle? Musk asked in the poll. The final results saw over 2 million people vote, with 70.4% of people voting no and 29.6% voting yes. In the replies, he asked those participating to vote carefully. The consequences of this poll will be important. Please vote carefully, Musk wrote. I expect we will not have to wait too long for any changes to take place in the operation of Twitter. Apple's subscription hardware service is expected to launch in late 2022, according to the Bloomberg News. It would help consumers avoid the upfront cost of a new iPhone or MacBook, which can cost $1,600 and $6,100 respectively. Instead, they would reportedly pay a monthly fee. At this point in time, we don't know the exact prices. As of the fourth quarter of 2021, Apple controlled roughly 22% of the global smartphone market, according to the technology market research firm CounterPoint. Samsung, meanwhile, made up 19% of the market with Chinese smartphone makers Zazami, Apple, and Vivo capturing the rest. Apple's least expensive iPhone starts at $429, while Samsung sells smartphones for as little as $159. It's a huge deal for the company because they've been bumping up against their own market share. Market share, whether it's the phone or their computer, just moves up ever so fractionally, and you have to think of new ways to win customers over, and some of it is through product innovation, and the other is through how products are sold. The program wouldn't just be a boon for Apple's hardware sales either. It could also boost the tech giant's software subscription services at a time when new regulations threaten to hit its high-margin app store. Apple tends to charge more for its iPhones than its competitors do. 
The least expensive iPhone is $429, which is the iPhone SE, compared to Samsung's Galaxy S53 5G, which costs just $20 more. However, Samsung phone has a larger display, more camera options, and a more modern look. To get an iPhone with a larger display and multiple cameras, you have to spend $499 on a two-year-old iPhone 11 or drop $600 on last year's iPhone 12 mini. In other words, Samsung offers more for your money, but a subscription program with the right terms could make Apple's iPhone lineup far more appealing for price-conscious consumers. That would help Apple push more customers to its software subscription services like Apple TV and Apple Fitness, which have become crucial to its bottom line as global smartphone sales slow. A subscription hardware plan would also provide more reliable quarterly revenue. Since consumers would pay monthly fees, right now, Apple sees the bulk of its revenue in the fourth quarter and the first quarter when it unveils the latest iPhones. With a subscription service, Revenue would be spread out across the entire year, and it creates a clear forecast for the company. A hardware subscription service could also offset future revenue losses that Apple might face as regulators clamp down on its App Store policies, which require developers to pay a 15% to 30% fee on the sale of apps purchased through its App Store. Regulators around the world are increasingly cracking down on the company's business practices. The European Union's recently passed Digital Marketing Act, for instance, let app developers circumvent Apple's fees, cutting into the tech giant's bottom line. A hardware subscription service, however, could make up for lost app store revenue. It all depends on the terms. Of course, for a hardware subscription service to work, Apple has to provide users with the right terms. The company already offers monthly installment plans for the iPhone customers starting at $35.33 per month, meaning the plan subscription plan would need to replace that or cost less. Details of the plan subscription are still scanned, and Bloomberg News points out that Apple could move the program's launch from 2022 to 2023 or cancel the whole thing entirely. There's a lot of open questions as to how affordable and whether it is a good deal for consumers over time. Apple's revenues will likely take an initial hit as customers transition from paying for their phones upfront to the subscription model. Apple's service is months away from being a reality, if it even happens at all. Have you ever thought about your ancestry? Well, It's now easy to access information on individuals from the 1950 census, but be aware of misspelled names. The National Archives and Records Administration just recently posted millions of records from the 1950 census online revealing for the first time a trove of data on people's lives from income to ancestry to education and more that had been kept secret under federal law for 72 years. The release of such historical census data, which occurs once every decade, the last one was 1940 census that was made public in 2012, is a major event for historians and genealogists, but even non-professionals may want to peek at the records for details 
about the lives of their relatives and others. The National Archives have made that easy. There is a website to a free database of census information that is searchable by names and addresses. In case you want it, it's www.archives, A-R-C-H-I-V-E-S dot gov forward slash research forward slash census forward slash 1950. I'll repeat that. It's www.archives.gov forward slash research forward slash census forward slash 1950. Because the handwritten forms from that census have been read and transcribed using artificial intelligence, spellings may be incorrect. The National Archives reported that visitors to the census site already had filed 150,000 suggested corrections to misspelled or garbled information using a transcription tool on the website. The agency's chief innovation officer said the vast majority of people are reporting how thrilled they are to easily find the information they're searching for. There are ways to make the search go more smoothly. The Census Bureau offers an FAQ and tips on the webpage. For common surnames such as Johnson, it may help to focus on an unusual first name if one exists. Also, a search would turn up variants of a surname, say Smiths, S-M-I-T-S, instead of Smith, S-M-I-T-H, casting a broad net to account for possibility of wrong spellings. The archive suggests that researchers check every record a search produces, even if the name is off a bit. The record should become more accurate as website users submit corrections. If that doesn't work, it is possible to browse individual enumeration districts, the small geographic area by which census taking was organized. A list of enumeration districts is available in the National Archives catalog, but finding the proper one requires at least a general idea of where someone lived. It's also worth remembering that some people may not have been counted at their primary residence, inmates in prisons, or college and university students in dormitories, for example, and that some people were not counted at all. For instance, the Census Bureau worked with the Pentagon to get information on military personnel and their families stationed overseas, but most of that data was not retained. If all else fails, the National Archive says it may be time to look for clues elsewhere. Libraries and other archives may have old telephone directories and city directories, for example. The archives recommended in the article an adaptation of search tips for the 1940 census that was published in a genealogical journal in 2011. Historians and other researchers can download the entire data set by visiting the Registry of Open Data maintained by Amazon Web Services. Other major genealogical organizations like Ancestry.com and FamilySearch are expected to offer the same data soon, and those two plan to perform their own transcription and error checking of names and addresses, eventually producing what they say will be a highly accurate list. While FamilySearch is a free service, many others require users to subscribe or sign up for a free trial before gaining access to census records and other data. WISE is a company that makes security cameras. 
The company's security camera line was reportedly vulnerable to hackers for years, and the company knew about it, but told no one. Wise has published a blog post in response to the controversy surrounding its recently disclosed security vulnerabilities. One thing that is emphasized here is the fact that for the security flaws to be exploitable, a user's local network would need to be compromised by a hacker or their network would need to be exposed to the open internet. So Wise issued the following statement. We first would like to let our users know that these vulnerabilities required some form of local network access. So you would have had to expose your local network to either the bad actor directly or the internet at large for these vulnerabilities to be exploitable remotely. Rest assured you shouldn't and likely don't have a setup like this. So yes, it should be noted that the likelihood that your camera has actually been hacked is probably relatively small. And if you've updated the firmware on your V2 or V3 cameras, they are now safe for use. The V1s, however, remain vulnerable to these issues and will remain so for the foreseeable future. This is also extrapolated upon in the WISE update. Unfortunately, despite extensive efforts stretching into 2022, we found WISE Cam V1, last sold in March 2018, couldn't support the necessary security updates. The limited camera memory that prompted us to create WISE Cam version 2 directly prevented patching these issues on that product. The broader point still stands, however, that the company failed to disclose these vulnerabilities to its customers for three years. Google issues warnings for Chrome users. Google announced in a statement that its Chrome browser is vulnerable to a dangerous hack. In the statement, the company said the threat level was high and the attack was reported anonymously. The company said it will be several days before it rolls out an emergency update. Microsoft confirms its Edge browser has the same issue and has already issued a fix. Other browsers like Samsung, Amazon Silk, Brave, and Opera could also be open to the same exposure. When you are able to update, remember, Chrome must be restarted for the fix to take effect. Chrome has over 2.65 billion users worldwide. Well, the U.S. has sanctions against Russia, and Russia now will end its cooperation on the International Space Station and cease working with NASA and the European Space Agency due to Western sanctions against the country. Dmitry Rogozin, head of Russian space agency Roscosmos, made the announcement on Twitter this past Saturday morning as he slammed sanctions he said were designed to kill the Russian economy. The ISS is not owned by single nation, but is instead operated through a cooperative program involving the United States, Europe, Russia, Canada, and Japan. It is the largest man-made structure ever put into space. Tweeting in Russia, Rogozin wrote the following, Sanctions from the United States, Canada, and the European Union and Japan 
are aimed at blocking financial, economic, and production activities of our high-tech enterprises. The purpose of the sanctions is to kill the Russian economy, plunge our people into despair and hunger, and bring our country to its knees. It is clear that they will not be able to do this, but the intentions are clear, he said. That is why I believe that the restoration of normal relations between partners in the International Space Station and other joint projects is possible only with a complete and unconditional lifting of illegal sanctions. Specific proposals of Roscosmos on the timing of the completion of cooperation within the framework of the ISS with the space agencies of the United States, Canada, and European Union and Japan will be reported to the leadership of our country in the near future, he wrote. The United States and its allies have imposed strict sanctions on Russia since its invasion of neighboring Ukraine began on February the 24th. Those sanctions have included cutting Russia off from the SWIFT international payment system, a U.S. ban on Russian energy imports, and denying the Central Bank of Russia access to around $300 billion in foreign exchange and gold reserves. In a long Twitter thread on Saturday, Rogozin also shared letters he had received from the heads of other space agencies involved in the running of ISS, including NASA and the European Space Agency. Rogozin had written to the agencies about the imposition of sanctions with the European Space Agency Director General Yosef Aspaka writing that he would forward Rogozin's letter to the European Space Agency's member states. The Roscosmos director criticized having to wait for responses from all the European governments that are party to the European Space Agency, writing that by the time they had replied, the ISS would die by its own death. Russia is responsible for critical parts of the ISS propulsion controls that keep the station in orbit of the Earth, and the station originally began as a partnership between the United States and Russia. Rogozin had previously threatened to end Russian cooperation with the International Space Agency and suggested that without Russia, the ISS could fall to Earth. Well, Motorola is now the number three U.S. smartphone in the United States. Motorola is now up to 10% market share, while LG flatlines. LG Electronics quit the Android world last July, and while the company never produced a flagship smartphone capable of hanging with the best in the market, LG was a prominent source of cheap smartphones, especially in the United States. We're now getting a look at what a U.S. market without LG looks like, and the big winner is apparently Lenovo's phone division, Motorola. Counterpoint research shows Motorola capturing the number three spot in the U.S. smartphone market with a 10% market share. Apple takes the top spot with 58%, and Samsung grabs a 22% share. Counterpoint says Motorola's rise is mostly due to its success at the lower end of the market and its good relationship with U.S. carriers. Motorola has been a key OEM filling the void left by LG's exit. The OEM has all the key characteristics major carriers look for, a full portfolio, 
ability to ramp volumes, and low return rates. Motorola's sub-$300 portfolio included the Moto G Stylus, Moto G Power, and Moto G Pure, has driven its success in the United States. Thanks to its reliability, Motorola has been a key free switch device, a device carrier used to move subscribers from networks that are being shut off or as a device MVNOs, which means mobile virtual network operators, use when changing network partners. Presenting the IP Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. Business IT changes coming. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. It's time to talk about what's happening in the business world with IT and some of the some of the things that we're going to be seeing over the coming years. Yes, I had a question in regards to what do you what do you see as the things that people need to be aware of for for the coming you know, days in regards to IT at the business. All right, so, uh, and this was a phone call, so I, yeah, I'm struggling with remembering the exact words, but I've got my notes down here as far as what I want to talk about. And okay, so the, the, first and foremost, yes, the idea work from anywhere is it is driving a lot of improvements for us like higher internet speeds at home uh, it is enabling family interactions when convenient and it's reducing out commutes that are meaningless and unproductive every company is going to have different policies regarding this a lot of people do not want to go back into the office we would rather spend time seeing our families than seeing our coworkers no offense to our coworkers, but there's there's a certain bond that that is helped out here. Uh, you know, a lot of what we do for work is to enable us to have a better life away from work. And if we can give people a little bit of that taste of that freedom, if it if it is not impacting on their jobs, it, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think a lot of companies are realizing that. A lot of companies around the world are realizing that work from home, work from anywhere are viable options. And they're also looking at a good balance where, hey, you know what? Maybe come in once a week, twice a week. Or you can come in as often as you want or you can stay home as often as you want as long as you're getting your work done, as long as you're productive. And they're they're exploring this out. And we're going to see this ebb and flow in all kinds of companies around the world for a long time to come. The next area that I think we're going to start seeing more changes in, this is going to be a little bit more of uh, of an impact in a number of different directions but in part you know the recent issues with uh, rumors of cyber war actual cyber war going on with uh, Russia and Ukraine and uh, you know there's some stuff that's saying that China's involved and uh, look I I'm, I'm not going to get into the whole uh, geopolitics of this but what I'm going to say is internet security is going to be a big factor over the course of the coming uh, decades it is it is rapidly becoming a, a bigger item than we had imagined just two years ago, a year ago, 
And this is amazing because that was a field, is a field that is still continuing to just blow up. No, no pun intended. Nothing about security and, and explosions. I'm just saying it's, it, uh, you know, if you have any kind of experience in security, especially information technology security, you're really reaping the rewards and you're going to continue to reap those rewards. So we're going to see cyber attacks continue. We're going to see focused, broad, and we're going to see all kinds of uh, counter uh, measures that are just going to be implemented here. Defending against these are going to become harder and harder. And this is going to involve a number of different directions. That physical barrier, semi-physical barrier of the firewall, of the software that's protecting us, the filters. But also, we're going to see a lot more education of individuals that are going to help people understand what an is what is an attack coming in and how to avoid this assault on ourselves as individuals but also as companies and and this is going to be very very big we're going to see a a level i think of artificial intelligence being applied pseudo artificial intelligence in regards to adapting over the years we have seen uh, anti-malware packages adapt. They looked not at at things like the pattern of uh, of the file that was coming in, but actually the activities of whatever files that were going on. And I think we're going to see a lot more of those different pop-ups that say, are you sure you want to run this program? The last area I think that is going to be really big in the coming years is... I mean, there's there's the idea of robotics, but I think it's going to be more of robotic process automation and that whole idea that we go through and we we have to do 10 different clicks or that's going to be reduced down to one or we have a repetitive process that we go through and closing the books. I was involved at a previous company where to close out the books every month, it was a it took a day. And then the company said, we want to do a trial close every week. And that was tricky. So what did we so we I can't tie up my, you know, my CFO, my controller for a matter of a day or even a couple of hours with something like this. So we went through and we had to automate this and we had to bring a lot of that action that he was taking, click here, download this, download that, upload this, you know, process this, do this, do that. And we just had to automate this. That's done through robotic process automation. It's just taking those routine digital activities, that boring repetitive task and changing it so that we don't have to do that anymore. And we're going to see a, a, a spike in the amount of people that are required to do this because applying that robotic process automation, RPA, across the board is going to return more power to the company. And we don't have to employ as many people doing mind-numbing repetitive tasks. These are just a few of the items that uh, we're going to start seeing changes on. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. What do you think is the weakest link in the PC system? Passwords. Passwords are easy to attack because people often use vulnerable passwords that are really 
easily guessed or already compromised. In the online security survey, Google reported that 65% of people reuse their passwords. These passwords are vulnerable because people reuse them across various personal and professional platforms. This makes it more likely that they end up on breach lists, which are then used repeatedly in password attacks. Historically, the best practice for creating stronger passwords was to require minimum character length and added complexity in the form of different character types. This advice has proven to create passwords that are difficult for people to remember and easy for hackers to exploit. As long as people reuse passwords, making these more secure comes down to disallowing all known compromised passwords. The research in this report has been compiled through proprietary surveys and data analysis of 800 million breach passwords, a subset of more than 2 billion breach passwords within SpecCop's breach password protection list. The data analysis looked at any password containing words within a particular theme. While it is impossible to say that using the word angels in a password is related to the baseball team in Los Angeles, the prevalence of words related to the themes demonstrates the problems of password reuse and compromised passwords. Reusing passwords is the understandable result of having too many passwords to manage in our digital lives. Many people reuse a password once they have created something that passes the complexity test of a password strength meter. In general, people follow similar patterns when creating memorable passwords by choosing root words that are family-oriented or related to their interest. Complexity is added to these root words in predictable patterns, such as placing numbers at the end of the password, lead speak character, substitution, and keyboard pat passwords themselves are very vulnerable to attack. What specifically makes them vulnerable? This year's Weak Password Report by SpecCopsoft takes a look at both the human side and the tech side of why passwords are the weakest link in an organization's network. SpecCops Software is a leading provider of password management and authentication solutions. Minimum password length is a good start at defending against some of the common types of password attacks. Like a brute force attack, a brute force attack is when a bad actor takes a list of common or compromised passwords and systemically runs them against a user's email to gain access to a given account. The password spring attack is a specialized password attack commonly used by attackers that is reasonably effective and helps avoid detection by traditional password defenses. Instead of trying many different passwords on a single user account, the password spring attack may try one or two common passwords across many different accounts and services. It may even span across many different organizations. The attacker picks passwords commonly used by end users or found on breach password dumps. Password spring attacks help avoid detection by many available traditional security monitoring solutions since the attack pattern looks similar to normal failed login attempts. The attempts do not lock out accounts or trigger other monitoring thresholds. To protect against real attacks, 
you have to go beyond just minimum password length recommended by some regulatory bodies. For instance, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, that's the NIST, requires a minimum of eight characters or more, and it seems attackers are aware of this as 93% of the password used in these brute force attacks include eight or more characters. What about requiring a special characters or complexity? Standards like PCI or HI Trust require different character types as part of your organization's password rules. Attackers seem to be taking these standards into account, as well as the research team found that 68% of passwords used in real attacks include at least two character types. Many organizations choose 12 characters as the minimum password length requirements, so SpecCop software analyzed the attack data coming from their honeypots. The team found that 41% of passwords used in real attacks are 12 characters or longer. Attackers are well aware of the standards recommendation and password requirements companies are using to fight these attacks. This data shows that attackers have adjusted their tactics to include longer passwords. And while you might think something as simple as password 12345 would be what was found, well, the top 10 passwords used in real brute force attacks that are 12 characters or more are long and complex but also compromised, which is why requiring longer password is not enough to protect from real attacks. It's one thing to understand how many of your users are using weak passwords that could leave you vulnerable. It's another thing to see those weak passwords used in an attack against your organization. The breakdown indicates that adding most of the ROCKU 2021 to a breach password protection list is not required, as sufficient complexity rules could protect against over 95% of the records. By simply requiring upper, lower numbers and special characters, one would rule out a valid password being contained in the following categories, comprising of 96.5% of their sample. At the end of the day, the Rocky U 2021 list was not a large dump of breach passwords, though it did contain some. However, it's still a word list which attackers may choose to use in their attacks against your network. Other notable breach password lists that can be used against your network is the UK National Crime Agency's 230 million compromised password list, the CIT Zero Day with 226 million compromised passwords, and collection number one with 772 million accounts. The data in this report should bring awareness to this all-too-common problem. The next step is to take action, which means blocking weak and compromised passwords, enforcing password length requirements, enforcing user verification at the service desk, and auditing the enterprise environment to highlight password-related vulnerabilities. Samsung is teaming up with iFixit to let you repair your own Galaxy phone display and replace the battery. Together with Apple, Samsung is the most popular phone brand in the United States, so users will be delighted to hear that both will now let them repair their own devices after Apple already unveiled its do-it-yourself repair program. Samsung announced that it will be partnering 
with iFixit, that's I-F-I-X-I-T, on user replaceable parts for its most popular lines of mobile devices that are already out there in the hands of consumers like the Galaxy S20 or the Galaxy S21 series, as well as the Galaxy Tab S7 Plus tablet. Through the partnership with iFixit, America's largest repair community, Samsung says it will be providing genuine device parts, repair tools, and intuitive visual step-by-step repair guides for the devices starting this summer. At the beginning, iFixit will provide tools and guides while Samsung will give access to original display assemblies with integrated batteries, back glass, and charging ports, but in the future there will be more component categories included in the program as well as additional devices. The replace and faulty assemblies are parts that can be returned to Samsung for responsible recycling as the idea behind the program is not only to placate regulators which are responsible for enforcing circular economy and sustainability guidelines like the Right to Repair Act, but also ensure more ways for consumers to extend the lifespan of their products with premium care experiences. Sustainability is at the core of Samsung's mission, from their products to their practices and operations. In addition to care services, Samsung will make it easier to recycle unusable tech at more than 1,700 drop-off locations across the country. Every device adds to the 1.2 billion pounds of e-waste the company has repurposed or recycled in the United States since 2009. Samsung invites people to join them in making everyday changes that have a meaningful impact. After years of work, a large team of researchers say they've deciphered the missing 8% of our genome. Scientists have finished mapping the entire human genome about 20 years after most of the map was complete. In new research this week, a team reports they have achieved a gapless genome sequence accounting for 8% of genetic information not previously known. The missing data may provide more insights about the evolutionary journey of humans as well as our susceptibility to diseases. The findings should provide valuable new insights about many different aspects of our biology and history. In time, what we've learned from this could very well revolutionize our current thinking about the variations inherent in our genes and how they have affected our evolutionary journey, along with the health problems that can arise from mutations. By simply having a full reference map now available, we can better find and track variations in our DNA that could tell us something about genetically influenced health conditions, work that the team is already doing. The complete human genome is making accessible for the first time hundreds of genes and parts of genes that we know are important to the human health, but were difficult to sequence and assay. As such, we will have more power to make genetic associations with disease and thereby make new discoveries. The team's mapping efforts next plan to sequence the genome of chromosomes that are mixed with both parents' genes, as is typical. And eventually, they like to sequence people's genes from across the world, in hopes of better understanding the full variation of our genetics.
Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Fledging Spruce Multi-Charger. We didn't plan on being here today, but we're glad you are. <laughs> Welcome to Accident. Marty Winston joins me now here on Computer Talk Radio. And Marty, well, what do we have going on today? Well, I, I wanted to charge something, and your card mm -hmm. wasn't available, so we're stuck with electrical charging. Okay. <laughs> now, everybody, there's a whole alphabet out there, and it's not just English. <laughs> to, help, <laughs> to help identify what your gear wants to see and what you want to see in the stuff you want to plug your gear into. Mm -hmm. Obviously, USB has been out there since what? The word busboy had it in the middle of it. USB, everybody plugs into and gets at least a trickle. Mm -hmm. At yeah. least a trickle. But what if you have something hungrier? What if a trickle isn't enough? Yeah. Then, yeah. then you go for different flavors of USB. USB 3, 3.1, USB-C. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that is just the beginning. There is also USB with quick charge. QC, QC2, QC3, those mm -hmm, are versions mm -hmm, that are mm -hmm, out there. Mm -hmm. And then Quick Charge has an alternative called Power Delivery, PD. PD. Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. You know, it, it doesn't mean pizza from Domino's. PD, yeah. Power Delivery, okay? Yeah, you, know, you, you missed one, Thunderbolt. Oh, yeah. Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt, which is like USB-C, but not. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, that's another story. It's intended for Mac people, and we'll forgive them and give them our, our, our best wishes. <laughs> uh, now, you may know there are some things you don't have to plug into anything. You can still recharge them. Mm -hmm. no. And I'm not talking about the ones with the cranks on the side. I'm talking <laughs> about cordless charging. Wireless charging. Yeah. Yes, wireless. Both terms. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and the predominant uh, standard, if you will, for that is pronounced Qi. It's spelled Q-I. Yeah, if you want just to, call to it, mess with us. Yeah, you could call it Qi if you want to, but nobody will know what you're talking about. <laughs> you could call it Kai, but we're back to nobody knowing what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we have all of these ways that things can charge, and some things can use more than one. Mm -hmm. And one thing I found at CES, take you back to January, just sure, yeah. recently, is from a company called Fledging, which I've known for a couple of years as having really creative, clever, sweet approaches to powering things up. Sure, I don't yeah. care. It goes in the 12-volt socket in your car, goes in the wall, whatever. I love these guys. And I'm holding up for those of you watching on video. How do you do that? <laughs> for the yeah, for, for those of you watching on video, yeah, that would be me. That's it. But yes, okay, go on. So this, is, this is the fledging spruce. Okay. And and what you're seeing, if you're looking and you can't, is one USB A style wide USB port mm -hmm. and three of the smaller USB C. Okay. All right. And this allows you to power up to four devices, or is it five? Because the top of the box, and it's like a rectangular solid. Oh, okay. oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Is it's, a Qi charger. Wow. You can lay okay. your phone down on that and charge it. Or here's its little trick: if I pull up on that, the top oh, slants sweet. to become an easel. Yes. So yes. Okay. Lean your phone on on that or your tablet or whatever, and it will cordlessly charge using the Qi standard. So here we have 
four devices, one box, and it doesn't plug in with a wall wart. It plugs in with an actual AC cord. The power supply elements are inside. Nice. Okay. That white all, all right. Box. All right. So, so the box did look a little bit larger. It's it, probably about a, a thickness of I, I don't know. I'm guessing probably three decks of cards. You know, we have right here a ruler, and it tells me it's just under two inches tall. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's roughly three by four. Okay. Four and a quarter right. as a footprint. So, so yeah. All right. So it's, it, it, uh, but, but within that footprint, no wall wart. It's it's charging up a a whole host of items at once. So I, I like that idea. You also it's, like the idea of traveling with your wife. So your computer, yes. her computer, your phone, her phone, one socket in the wall. I guarantee That's, oh, you'll find man. any Oh, I love where world. you went with that. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so, I mean, that is, is so for, from, okay, so I have to carry two laptops when I go traveling. So that is, that's probably the size of two of the chargers actually no that's yeah. that's smaller than two of the chargers and then it gives me an, uh, the additional ports so that's and, that's wild and beyond that try finding a hotel room with two free power plugs <laughs> yeah that's that's difficult that's you, yeah. you take out the light you take out the tv set you take out the tv set does it sound an alarm <laughs> All of a sudden, security's knocking on the door. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so that that is uh, that's a really cool device. I, I like the sizing on it. Uh, that would um, in that would definitely be a, a nice one. Yeah. The fledgings. Hey, and people, they've been in business long enough for me to suggest. If you're wondering what to get people for Christmas. Uh, you might get this, but you might want to wait for summer and see what new they have. <laughs> I'm like, you're, you're, you're suggesting Christmas already? I, I, you know, Fairly okay, so, <laughs> so I know I know we're whatever it is, 275 days or whatever it is away from Christmas. But Well, that's, that's not shopping days. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> plan now. Plan now. Plan early. Get Remember ready. Remember your gifts for Memorial Day, for <laughs> for Flag Day, for <laughs> Independence Day, for Labor Day. Labor Day? Halloween you get gifts for Labor Day? <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> thank you, Ben, and thank you, Marty. The 46th Annual Trenton Computer Festival, also known as TCF 2022, it was a free virtual online event on tcf-nj.org. The theme of the festival was using technology to disrupt environmental change. There were over 50 talks on 10 concurrent tracks. All the sessions were recorded and video podcasts of each talk is being prepared and notice of available streams will be posted. The list of scheduled topics is listed on the homepage of the festival website tcf Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut tri-state region. Since most club meetings are online, you are most welcome to attend any of the online meetings. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. Westchester PC Users Group 
has a presentation, Cyber Hygiene. Meeting is Thursday, April the 7th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is wpcug.org. King's Bite Computer Club meets Tuesday, April the 12th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. They meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant at 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. The phone number to call to confirm is 347-278-7320. The New York Amateur Computer Club has a presentation, Audacity, Open Source Audio Editing App, Thursday. Meeting time is 7 p.m. on April the 14th. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is nyacc.org. The Brookdale Computer Users Group meets Thursday, April the 28th. Meeting time is 6.45 p.m. Topic of presentation is AI and our human future. It's a virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is bcug.com. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey meets Friday, May the 6th. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Website is acgnj.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, May the 6th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is limac.org. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on prn.live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email address to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Joe King, Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy until we meet again, same time, same station, next week.